millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Clay Wilson. Well, after months of battles off the water, the four teams taking part in the looming America's Cup have finally begun their on-water duels. While Ineos Team UK was dealing with technical issues on day one of official practice earlier this week, Cup holders Team New Zealand, Italian challengers of record Luna Rossa and American Magic all got their first chances to test themselves against one another. It comes ahead of four days racing later next week, the first three in a World Series event, followed by a final day Christmas Cup regatta. That's followed by the month-long Prada Cup from January 15, with the winner earning the right to challenge Team New Zealand for the old mug across two weeks in March. So with practice underway and real racing less than a week away, who's flying highest on their foils in the fight for international sports' oldest trophy? Joining me to discuss a Sail World New Zealand editor, Richard Gladwell, long-time America's Cup journalist Suzanne McFadden of Locker Room and our America's Cup reporter here at RNZ, Felicity Reid. Suzanne, I'll come to you first. Um, we've seen a couple of days of practice racing so far. I guess one thing to note is that technical issues for a couple of the teams has meant that we haven't actually seen as much racing as we expected. So what should we make of the fact that there's been some issues for the UK and American teams? Um, I think that... It's natural that there are going to be some hiccups early on. I mean, you know, this is the first time that these boats have really been tested in a race situation, albeit not a real race. But uh, I think that there is going to be these teething issues that we'll we'll see also in the um, Christmas regatta coming up. Uh, I think it's great, though, that Team New Zealand continue to be... um, almost the last boat standing today. I think they're the only team out on the water today. And so it's great for them to, I imagine it's a great uh, confidence boost to them that they're doing the right thing. But uh, I guess in a way, though, they'll be a little bit disappointed that they're not getting to see a lot of the challenges. Richard, what do you make of that? And also, before you touch on that, I want to just know you've been out on the water there seeing these boats up close, we've all seen how spectacular they look and what they might be able to do. So what, what have you made of your first look of seeing these AC-75 monohulls racing alongside one another? Yeah, greetings. Um, I mean, what we're seeing now is just typical what I call invitational racing, so uh, you never put much weight on it at all. Um, you know, yesterday we saw, you know, one of the starts, Jimmy Spittle on Luna Ross has started 19 seconds ahead of time shot through the start line and took off up the first beat. Team New Zealand came through three seconds ahead of the start time and took off after him. And uh, by the first cross, they caught him. So you just you don't know whether guys are sandbagging or, or real or, or what. But um, the thing is that these guys can't have sustained 
serious damage because uh, we know from Bermuda, I mean, they could turn around a hole in the bottom of an AC-50 that was big enough for a man to climb through and, and fix that overnight and race the next day. And we also saw how, you know, teams haven't recovered from their nosedives. So the shore support teams are, you know, very good at turning the boat around quickly if they want to. Mm. And you can only assume out of this if they don't want to. As we speak, we haven't seen any Aus Team UK line up in an actual practice race, but in terms of speed and boat handling so far, what have you made of the four boats that we've seen them out there on the water? I mean, Team New Zealand has looked at least as impressive as the others, if not perhaps a standout, but you're touching on there that perhaps we can't read too much into anything we've seen so far. Well, if the other guys are sailing at full pace, then Team New Zealand's a super boat. So um, we just there's just nothing you can read into it. I mean, I've been watching, you know, AC seventy five since they you know launched in September twenty nineteen, and it's impossible to tell the speed they're travelling at. You don't know whether they're sailing at race pace or, or just cruising, and um, it's, it's just very hard to get a read on anything until you get into a serious race that counts for points. Felicity, a couple of things um, that I've been keeping an eye on because ever since we've seen these boats, two things that have that I've been thinking about are one, how they're going to keep them upright at such pace, but also with these uh, winged foils out the side, the danger when they come close together. So, what have we seen so far, and, and do you think we're going to see some issues around those kind of things? Even before practice officially started, and what we've seen with the boats against each other, everyone testing their um, first and second generation boats, have, there has been capsizes. We've seen that these boats are hard to handle. And with the winged um, hydrofoils out the side there as well, like Richard was saying, you don't really want to get tangled up at this time of either if you're going to get damage to your boat. And that comes into safety as well, keeping these boats upright. I mean, it's quite... We've seen in the past that America's Cup boats have sails have fallen off and that type of thing as well so it is a lot, we make a lot of it with comparisons to Formula 1 on the water and as we've seen with Formula 1 racing recently, accidents can happen and testing will happen of the safety mechanisms that are on these boats as well. So it's very much a balance between speed but also keeping the boat upright as well and and because you don't want to any, any incidents are obviously going to cost you when it comes to, to racing. Oh exactly um, These boats are actually really safe um, they've capsized, I mean, Team New Zealand's capsized twice, the British capsized once, and they, um, they took four minutes to get them up and sailing again. And then, you know, in Team New Zealand's case, they um, just sailed away. We saw um, American Magic on her first sail, um, you know, have a problem with her uh, uh, rudder, rudder wing control, mm. left completely clear of the water, and then from about three or four metres up, nosedive straight into it, bow, you know, head in and then popped up and sailed away. Team New Zealand's nosedived Tiahi at uh, 49.9 knots and just came back up and kept on sailing. So there's been a lot of work go into these boats, and you know what we're seeing now is that they're, they're remarkably safe. They're a lot safer than the AC-50s ever were, and um, the crew's extremely skilled. And when you see these top crews racing and match racing, you just realise that how good they are at positioning a boat you know, relative to another, I mean, I've seen them sit there literally inches away and, you know, in, in keel boats. And they can just do that. And, and these guys are just, they're extremely skilled at what they do. And I'm, I'm not expecting to see any um, clashes or anything like that. The starts we're seeing out here, I mean, they're, 
everyone's giving each other plenty of distance. All they're wanting to do is hit the line at full pace and in clean air. There's no point in doing what you know we saw in um, you know Bermuda with with Ben Ainsley giving Team New Zealand a love tap, um, or, or the same with um, this happened in, in 2013. Richard, are you a little bit concerned though about um, the spectator fleet getting too close to these boats? I mean, they're, you know, well, I, these I, boats I, if it was my world, I wouldn't have the spectators out here. There's absolutely no need for them. Um, when the courses are running on these stadium courses, um, you'll be able to see the boats brilliantly from North Head, Bastion Point, the shore. I mean, I've been watching them, you know, since September of last year, uh, racing on those courses, and the view is just superb. I mean, you just you're not you're not going to get half the view out on a spectator boat that you get um, standing on the Bottom of North Head, um, it's, it's just amazing. Suzanne. You know what, there's a like, everybody wants to get out in their boats. <laughs> well, but, but all that's going to happen if you go out on your boat, you're going to be stuck in a, in a marshalled area, um, which in Bermuda was off down to the bottom of the course. So yeah. all you're going to see is that, whereas if you're up on North Head and Bastion Point, it's like sitting in Eden Park with a you know front row seat on the halfway, halfway line. Uh, it's just you're going to get into places on land that you could never get on, on in the water. Suzanne, I mean, you've been covering the Cup for a long time, going back to the last time the Cup was here. How does that kind of thing compare? Because I, I guess the, the interest around the Cup, to me, is always something that's quite um, interesting to watch here in New Zealand about how much interest we take as we lead up to the Cup. And then once the Cup starts, it seems to just boom. So in, in that sense, what have you noticed so far here in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely, Clay, and it's exactly the same this time as it has was the last two times it was here. Um, and I think, you know, all that's been going on off the water um, kind of confuses the New Zealand public. So mm. they, what they really want to see is racing. And as Richard said, you know, this, the, what the difference in this cup is that the public are going to be able to watch it from these amazing vantage points on land if the race courses are, you know, set right yeah. off the um, next to the Waitemata Harbour. So it's going to be fantastic in that point of view. Um, and I think, yeah, I think New Zealanders are going to get right behind it. Again, you know, there's not going to be a lot of live sport in New Zealand this summer other than cricket. I mean, the tennis is gone. So um, I think we're all going to be hanging out for this. And next week... Um, the Christmas regatta is really going to show how keen Kiwis are, I think. Now, innovation has always been such a big part of the America's Cup. And Felicity, I'll come to you on this because I know we were discussing about how teams try different things. We saw at the last Cup, the cyclists, the cyclists Team New Zealand had on board, how they helped them get the Cup back. We've seen the Italians try something this week, and I know you noticed it um, in terms of what they want to do with manoeuvring the boat. Yeah, Luna Rossa have had um, helms people on port and starboard sides, which is a bit of a difference. It means the sailors don't have to get up and go across the boat switching sides, which is, I mean, could play to their advantage going into it as well. And also with um, Team New Zealand, after their second generation boat has meant that they sailors cross in front of the mast rather than behind it, which again, all these things that we trial out and see which is going to make a difference when all the boats come up against each other. Richard, are those things very much just trials at this stage or do you think they're trying to bet in what they will use when it comes down to the business end of racing? Oh, no, they're all um, betting stuff. And I mean, on that, um, two drivers with the Italian boat, I mean, they've always 
had uh, Jimmy Spittle and um, Francesco Bruni on hand, and the question was how they were ever going to handle them. Mm. And then, um, of course, you know, Spittle, in his, in his usual way, as he did in Bermuda, when the, he won the uh, qualifying series, sort of turned around and told Team New Zealand that they really should be doing what uh, Oracle was doing, which was to get a tactician in there and um, change all their crew structure around. Well, you know, there's different ways of skinning these boats, and... Um, different ways of doing it. The Team New Zealand boats, the latest one's very safe because it's got a you know, big high sides on the edge of it, so that's like a fence that the guys can run between. Mm. Uh, it's nowhere near as tricky as running across the deck of an AC-50. And um, I just think, you know, it's sort of different styles of different boats. Just another thing from being out there on the water, Richard, um, there's always talk about which boats are going to be better and which conditions. What have you noticed so far about that? Is there any particular advantage for any of the teams in any particular conditions? No, the only um, thing we noticed on the first day, American Magic came out. I mean, the wind was up at the top end of the range. Um, and I'll come to that in a minute. But they, um, they went out with a, with a cut-down mainsail, which was probably going to be right for that sort of weather. The other teams we haven't seen really test that, but the problem they got into was that the, the wind eased, and um, that was certainly the wrong sail to have up, and they can't change it out there. So these weather calls are, are going to be um, very interesting. On the wind limits, there's been a lot talked about those. Um, the feedback I'm getting and, and what I've seen is that the crews have absolutely no problem handling these boats in the, in the wind limits and, and, and quite a way above, they can go. I mean, they, they're looking at the attitude that they've got to be able to sail these things in 30 knots, and they, and they are, and they look moderately comfortable. Um, you know, the most dangerous period in terms of capsides in these boats seems to be in winds of around about um, 10 knots plus, mm. and they come flying out of a giant, and they're doing 40, 40 knots and they lose the um, control on the, on the rudder the rudder wing at the back. And that drops the stern down and just drives the whole boat like a commercial airliner into, into the air. Into the air and yeah. um, when I tracked New Zealand's leap, they were they came out of that water at 20 degrees for a commercial jet <laughs> airliner. Um, I worked out it was taking off at 10 degrees. So they're coming out at a hell of an angle. And there's a hell of a lot of force in there. Um, and it's just amazing to watch that boat jump clear of the water. The Americans with their first boat, they, you know, one, one training session, they did a leg, they jumped completely clear of the water, landed back in it, took off down, went around the next mark, and then went in the other way, nose down with the rudder clearly out of the water. So they're amazingly resilient, and the, and the rules are very good one. Yeah. Spectacular for us to watch. I imagine maybe not as fun for, for those guys oh. on board. <laughs> Formula, Formula One on water. Yeah. Well, just to finish up here, Suzanne, I'll, I'll, we started with you, so we'll finish with you. Um, four days of racing next week, um, but we have touched on the fact that, that none of this racing um, does sort of have any impact on the Challenger Series or the Cup itself. So um, what would you say we can expect from, from these four days of racing next week to get us underway? Well, it's quite interesting, you know, Richard hit on this earlier, whether there'll be sandbagging. It's quite um, hard to know how much you would reveal to your rivals at this point, especially if you're Team New Zealand. Uh, but I think that we're going to see some interesting racing. Maybe we'll see some real gaps between these boats. I mean, 
uh, I think it was Ben Ainsley who said that if you have, if you're not fast at this point, you don't have a lot of time to get faster between now and the Prada Cup in January. So um, it could be quite revealing, but again, you might need to take it with a dose of salt, um, whether this is their true speed, this is the way that they're going to race when the Challenger Series starts. But I think it'll just be fantastic to see these boats out on the water. Absolutely. I'm still kind of disappointed that there's only three challenges, that it's still uh, a game for, you know, rich rich backers of these boats. Uh, but I still think that we're going to see some really, really quality sailing. They're three really strong, challenging teams. And, um, you know, I think we're going to also see that Team New Zealand might again, have the leap on them. Landmark legal action is being taken in the UK on behalf of former rugby players who are suffering brain injuries, believed to be a result of concussions suffered during games. Central to the claim is an accusation that rugby authorities failed to protect them from the risk of concussion. The lawyer leading the action against World Rugby, Wales Rugby and England Rugby believes up to 50% of former professional players could end up with neurological complications in retirement. Richard Boardman, who is representing an initial group of about 10 players, including 2003 England World Cup winner Steve Thompson, says the sport faces a dementia epidemic among former players without serious reform of the game. 42-year-old Thompson has been diagnosed with early-onset dementia and says he has no recollection of his part in England's triumph in Australia 17 years ago. Boardman says the problem is widespread. We spend over 150 former players. Uh, 110 of them, we believe, have neurological symptoms. Things like a complete lack of memory, shortness of temper, depression, failed suicide attempts, homelessness. It's a very worrying trend we're seeing across the rugby world. Boardman says the legal action being taken in the UK may be widened to include New Zealand. He says he's been in talks with former New Zealand players about an ensuing class action though he says no decision has been made on whether the New Zealand Rugby Union would be part of that. It's certainly something we're discussing at the moment. We just want to get the English and Welsh action set up very soon and, and then we'll, you know, we're absolutely going to be considering the next steps. New Zealand Rugby say they remain committed to player safety and welfare within the game. Chief Executive Mark Robinson wouldn't comment on any potential legal action in Britain but says they've pledged to mitigate the effects of concussion and educating everyone in the game about the issue. We know we can be better and we know that we've got to keep working in this area because it is an incredibly complex area. We certainly have you know, a huge amount of sympathy and, and empathy for anyone that is struggling, anyone in the rugby whānau, that, both domestically and internationally, that is struggling. We certainly um, our hearts go out to them. Richard Boardman says regardless of the outcome of the planned legal action, World Rugby and national unions must act now. The governing bodies in World Rugby can do something right now to help current players. And I think that's where a lot of the rage from some of our guys comes from. You know, this is still happening right now. And we're very keen to get changes in the game that will help current and future generations. That was Richard Boardman who is representing an initial group of about 10 former top rugby players in landmark legal action relating to brain injuries. (music) 
A young New Zealand golfer is realising a long-held dream this weekend. The US Open in Houston, Texas is Amelia Garvey's first appearance at a major. In her final year of a scholarship to the University of Southern California, COVID-19 forced the 20-year-old Cantabrian to be at home for eight months before returning to the US early last week. With the pandemic continuing to surge stateside, Garvey said she had to get through two COVID tests before being given the all-clear to make her major debut. Thankfully tested negative in both of them, which is, oh, it was going to be my worst nightmare if I uh, tested positive on, you know, and not even play the tournament in quarantine for two weeks. So glad that's out the way and it's definitely nerve-wracking wait for the results to come back. In terms of the COVID situation there in Houston, what's it like? How careful do you need to be and how restricted are your movements? Obviously, the whole of the US is like in their height of uh, record cases right now, but I've just been really playing it safe, just wearing masks every time we're inside and just not going to any supermarkets. We're getting food provided for us at the course. So just basically going in between the golf course and the hotel. So it is a little bit boring, but um, you've got to do what you've got to do, I guess. Now that you're actually there, I'm sure this has been an ambition of yours for a while now to play at a major. How does it feel to be there in Houston and realising that dream? Yeah, it's unreal. It's only really just starting to sink in. You know, I've known for a while now. But, you know, one of my goals this week is to just be in the moment and enjoy things as well. Um, It's really easy to get caught up on. I really want to perform and I want to do well, but really want to look back at this week and enjoy myself as, you know, it's my first major and hopefully not my last. So at the end of this week, just make sure I haven't let that eight-year-old who has always dreamed about this moment um, slip by. Obviously, you're going to have Lydia alongside you this week, and I think you're the first Kiwi in four years to join Lydia as a Kiwi yeah. at, a, at, a, at a women's major. So do you mm-hmm. see that as an achievement, just giving Lydia some company in that field? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's it's amazing just to be here. But I, I know I can compete with these girls. I've shown myself before. So hopefully be able to give Lydia some competition as well as uh, a top Kiwi, but just being able to have Lydia as a mentor and she's only 23 but she's done this sort of you know a lot more times than any other 23 year old so just being able to have a Kiwi like her that flies our flag with a lot of pride um, and she'd do anything she can to help someone like myself or other young New Zealand girls out so just uh, making the most of that relationship there and asking her questions and learning from one of the best in the world is just a really cool opportunity. You mentioned before about um, just trying to stay in the moment and not get too ahead of yourself. In terms of expectation, have you set yourself a performance expectation, make the cut to get anywhere? Is there anything like that in your mind or is it just literally shot by shot? No, obviously, yeah. Making the weekend's my biggest goal. It's my first major. I'd like to be here for four days, not two. So that's really um, one of my biggest performance goals. But just not letting that get in the way of you know my processes and enjoying it and being in the moment and taking the time and the opportunity to you know learn from the people out here and learn from just the course and the tournament itself. And just in terms of if you do have a really good performance I mean does it change anything in terms of potential path to turning pro like a really good performance could it make things even a little easier? Um, it could yeah so Q School goes off world ranking as well so I were to finish in the top five at the World Amateur Rankings, um, I'd be able to skip stage one and two of Q School and go straight into stage three. So that's one of my goals 
So this tournament would definitely help that in terms of world ranking. So yeah, you're right. Definitely a lot of good incentives to play well this week. That was New Zealand golfer Amelia Garvey speaking ahead of her first major appearance at the US Open. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Richard Gladwell, Suzanne McFadden and Felicity Reid. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Clay Wilson. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.